episode 173 that sounds accurate enough yeah sure why not i'm your uh now powered again host mike apps ak wheels and with me as always uh fighting a life and death battle with my own eyes david mcbrony fanboy master enjoying a random lunch your man in japan michael baker gaiji minogatari yummy Yummy. Uh, and, yeah, yes. Uh, well, it's Iberical pate with brie on cheese, so. Nice. nice. Yes. Uh, yes, so we're a little late with this episode because I had lost power for almost a week. Yeah. Thanks well, to tropical storms do that sometimes. Yes. I'm just not used to it happening with a tropical storm that lasts for three hours with no rain. Yeah, that was really, uh, that one hit you out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm. It it yeah it was very weird. Just like oh, it's power's out. It's gone. Oh, it's sunny out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a giant tree limb in our front yard. Okay, this is weird. So yes, uh, it should have been a shorter duration. Unfortunately, our the biggest power company in the state is uh, terrible. I'm shocked. I can't believe a power company would be bad. Especially one with a near monopoly. Mm-hmm. Regional monopolies. Yeah. Eh, only in America. Well, thankfully... Never, one, never heard of bad power companies on the West Coast. One, uh, one, one town over, there is a town that has its own power plant and power company. And nice. I believe no one there was out of power for more than a few hours. Wow. So that's where we went for dinner. <laughs> it's that town. And to live. <laughs> I was going to say, over here, it's, I'm pretty sure it's a socialized power company. Nice. Yeah, yep. I'd assume that it's government-owned rather than... I was going to say, most sane countries have, so, um, have socialized utilities just because it's way too easy to price gouge with regional monopolies. Yes, funny story about that. Yeah, uh, and for the few things that aren't, for example, internet access, I have at least three or four different options nice. to choose from. So there is <laughs> no regional monopolies on those. Nice. I have one internet o- option wired. Everything else would be satellite-based internet. That and means bad. Our power company just <laughs> jacked their prices up <laughs> prior to all this happening, and they had. The fun part is when they jack the prices up, and then like. They also just, like, take the price penalty on having, like, blown up part of the grid and caused, like, a tremendously disastrous fire that dehomed and killed thousands of people. (sighs) Got strong opinions. Yeah, so so our power company isn't that bad, although they had no trucks staged prior to this uh, tropical storm. And... I, I heard a story. I can't verify this. That they may have sent their trucks to help in to help other states because they expected. What there could to be go no wrong damage. here? Yes. What could go wrong? 
Anyway, no one really cares about that. <laughs> Unless someone listening is also from my state. <laughs> um, we care, Wheels. We care. <laughs> so I hear there's a fan translation you've been playing, Dave, that I have yes, not yet yes, played. Yes, I have. Yet. Do tell. Metal, Metallurgic Maximus, something like that. Uh, <laughs> kind of like that name better. I, I would play that. I would play that. I'm not even going to lie. Um, I love it too. But yeah, Metal Max 3 for your uh, Nintendo DS. I've uh, put a few hours in. Not as many as I'd like, but a few hours in. Far enough to get to the point where the game like goes from kind of directing the player to telling them to just do whatever. And also past the first point where you can get an ending. Nice. So that's fun. It's slightly later than in the usual Metal Max fashion. You have to get a couple hours in before you're allowed to just marry someone and stop. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Metal Max 2 made you play a bit before that could happen, too. Fair. Yeah. Metal Max 1, you just had to go apologize to your dad for the argument that got you kicked out of the house. Which could happen at any time, literally any time in the game, between five minutes and 50 hours later. Just like, a, re- the, just like a real argument. Because it was the only way to end the game. Oh, it's the only ending. Yeah. So you, it didn't oh. matter exactly how many of the major bosses you beat, even up to and including the remnants of the ancient supercomputer that destroyed the planet. Thanks, um, Yeah. Um, the game did not officially end until you went back and apologized. <laughs> it's all about family here. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah uh, I, I like the Into the Sunset ending for Metal Max 3. That was a good one. Uh, which one is that? I assume that's the one I got, because I did get the... Sun, when, when, the if you, um, when Cora is talking about running away and uh, yeah. just leaving her fiancé behind, and she asks you to come with her, and you say yes, and it's the two of you riding off into the sunset on your motorcycle... Yeah, yeah, it's got a nice, it's a nice bit of art. Uh, there's slightly more sense to it than the other option, the other times where you're allowed to just immediately end things. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it's, I like how at first my assumption, since when you start the game, you aren't allowed to recruit any characters. So at first my assumption was, oh, my protagonist, Drumcan here is really strong because he's like a walking corpse, right? No, he's just really strong because of uh, early game spoilers. So, yeah, that was that was the thing that kind of struck me because I was like, I was fully willing to believe it's like, oh, it's because mad doctors act him back to life. And so he doesn't work like normal people. But no, that's how you get. That's how you revive everyone who dies. It's just like, oh, no, they're a corpse. He'll put them back. He will bring them back because that sounds interesting. And he wants to see if it'll work. He's constantly experimenting because he. I think um, the original impetus was to try and bring his dead girlfriend back to life. Yeah, sounds like he's kind of lost sight of that at this point. No, no, that this was in the, this was finally revealed in Metal Max Four, where it ah. almost succeeded. There was a, there was a subquest line where you were helping him work up to this, and it almost succeeded. But what happened was that her brain came back to life, and the rest of her didn't. Wow. So well, I can't remember if Lara, the world's most beautiful brain, happens to be in Metal Max 3. I'll have to look. But it, if you should go back to his laboratory and find a brain floating in a um, in a um, bat and it talks to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her origin is Metal Max 4. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. She appears in multiple games in the series. <laughs> Important. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah. So that's that's been fun. Uh, I found Pochi and made the tremendous mistake of forgetting that I hadn't bought him a weapon before I found him. So like the first time I brought him into battle, I was like, well, what's he going to do? And then he just immediately pisses himself and just, well, okay. I suppose I shouldn't have expected better. He I, has no weapon. I have a question about Pochi. <laughs> yeah? When he's off screen, does everybody ask, where's Pochi? He can't go off screen. That's the point. Oh, okay. He lives in, like, a partner slot. You aren't allowed to fill that with a human. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm not even sure if there's anything else that can go in that slot. I think it's just the dedicated pochi slot. Well, it's a dedicated dog slot. So there's a couple more dogs that you can pick up and swap out. But they aren't pochi. But they're not pochi, no. So like, why but, I mean, depending on the game, you can get a polar bear. That's kind of neat. But they're not pochi. But they're, they're still not pochi, no. Yeah, so I've been enjoying that. Of course. Yes. So which wanted monsters have you managed to take out so far? Not a whole lot. I've run into a few that have just absolutely demolished me, which was a nightmare. Cloud Uh, gone? I don't think I've... If I ran into that, I didn't notice its name. Um, it's It's a living cloud with a giant eyeball. Yeah, no, I haven't run into that yet. Okay. Because he's, he's one of the wandering ones that can't actually be beaten until you um, do a specific uh, uh, request line. Because he, ch- he tends to just run away before you can actually do enough damage to him. I ran into... Oh, this was, this was something I ran into that I was like, I had no guesses as to what was going on. I ran into a UFO. That oh, those was, guys? Yeah, it was just observing. It wouldn't attack me in any meaningful sense, and I couldn't do any real amount of damage to it. That's so the game's while, equivalent to metal slimes. Oh. I was expecting it to run away or something, so I didn't bother. When I, when I saw that it was taking, like, 15 rounds and I was doing, like, one damage per hit, I assumed that there was just no way to kill it. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it's, it's fairly low hit points, but it's, it is one of the game's multiple equivalents to metal slimes. Hmm. Those and golden ants and a few other things, gotcha. um, they they tend to be, they tend to take very low damage off of everything, but they also have pretty low hit points, and um, do not attempt to hit them with a laser. Well, I wasn't at risk of that, but I'll keep that in mind <laughs> because they don't just resemble disco balls. Uh. <laughs> they will <laughs> reflect and hit everything else on the screen if oh. you zap them with a laser. Well, that's really good. Uh. I mean, there are there are encounters where something may just intentionally hit one of those things with a laser, or you'll have a large number of them on screen, and they will all do hit all laser attacks, and suddenly it's like disco ball time in battle. There was a there was an enemy that I tried to force an encounter with, and I don't. I assume that there's some condition to do it that I haven't met yet. But like, I saw like a group of like a wandering group and they were talking about like a tank that sometimes decides to attack people and sometimes doesn't doesn't and i went yeah. out and found it and it was just and when i tried to attack it it just said oh it's not interested you actually have to be in a car in order to get its interest oh that explains it i lost yeah, my your, the cola stole it, my motorcycle yeah it, it's the second tank you can pick up uh be prepared to do some repair work afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I'd expect as much. Yeah. So so you haven't picked up the patrol car yet? Yeah, I haven't figured out where that is. <laughs> um, 
Okay, um, along the um, south of the crater wastes, you'll find a kind of a tower thing standing up over the edge of the river. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Okay, that's that's a good place to like, because I, I was I'd been spending a while just sort of wandering around and seeing what I could find, but it's always good to have like when I'm yeah. sick of doing that, here's something yeah. to go look for. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not far from the the path down to the beach area on that leads to Roro. However, mm. as soon as you step foot on the beach, you're suddenly into a higher difficulty zone. Ah, and you will die a lot <laughs> if you go down there. So stay away from the beach for right now. Just stick up towards the, uh, the areas um, east and south of the wastes. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, otherwise, there is a, there's a motocross bike that you can pull out of one of the, one of the slag pools in the, the wastes. Mm. Um, if you just go far enough into it, you'll find a spot where there's a rope tied to a stake and something is in the water and you just pull it out and there's a bike. <laughs> That's how I get all my stuff in real life. So. Yeah, you may or may not end up facing one of the other wanted monsters before you get to there, so be careful. Um, yeah, recruit. it doesn't seem like getting party wiped does that much to disadvantage you. Not really. So... Yeah, I mean, it seems like it just it teleports you it. back to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a vehicle to like have to pay for a repair on, it's just teleporting yeah. you back to the doctor. Yep. And um, I think this was it was either this one or uh, either this one or Season of Steel that introduced the retrieval function at the repair garage, <laughs> which makes <laughs> hey, things uh, my... so much easier. Um, I'd assume that's made its way into all of the subsequent games. Yes. Um, I still remember playing Metal Max 2, um, the Kai version for Game Boy Advance, mm -hmm. where if you lost a tank out in the middle of nowhere, you would. there was no real way to get it back unless you just rented one and went out specifically Wander to right it. back to it. Yeah. Which is the main reason why the rental tank services exist. Yeah, yeah. I saw the, that, and it seemed yeah. like kind of a bad deal, just because it's like, well, there's no direct price, but I mean, like, the... the 50% like, of all gold... Yeah, the bounties receiving. are, like, the high-value thing in the game, so yeah. surrendering half that is a huge toll. Well, well, you don't surrender the bounties, you surrender the money gained from directly from battle. Ah, okay, okay. Half that's, of that goes immediately to the tank rental. That's slightly less of a raw deal. Yeah. No, it's more of a raw deal in Season of Steel where your first partner character is a senior hunter and he will take his cut of any wanted reward money. Oh, that's mean. Um, no, but I mean, he's also forced out of the party early on for plot reasons and he never comes back. So Yeah, not too surprised. Yeah. So um, if you're feeling confident enough in your finances, you can ignore um, cashing in on it most and all but any of the first, except for the first wanted Bounty like the tutorial one, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've really liked what I've played so far. Uh, I just... It has the mood and the sort of, like, free freewheeling style that I found intriguing about the series, yeah. so... Yeah, the Metal Max games are the closest thing, or one of the closest things you can find in JRPGs to open world. Yeah, like it's um, it's very like after that first section, it's very just. Do, uh, I mean, do what you want. Yeah, 
I think um, Season of Steel and Metal Max 4 were the two most directed one, or and Xeno, of course, were the most yeah. directed games in the series. Um, mainly because Season of Steel kind of got rid of some of the open exploration. Xeno just didn't have much else to do besides the main track. And Metal Max 4, you always had an end goal that you were aiming for. Mm-hmm. There were there's all, like... all sorts of other things to do along the way, but you always knew exactly where you were going to end up eventually. Yeah, like this has a goal that like you would reasonably want to follow up on, but it doesn't give you any indications as to how you would go about doing that. So, Yeah, you really won't be able to expand on the main plot line until after you get through the Sea of Trees to the third area of the game. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just enough of a carrot to like keep you interested in like eventually seeing it resolved, but the game is not pushing you to like get moving. Gotta gotta solve these questions. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. No. So highly recommended thus far. Uh, yeah. Excited so, yeah, that you... the translation team seems interested in doing two reloaded and more of them. Sweet. Oh yeah. But yeah, um, your your next target is definitely going to be the old um, surveillance tower over the mm-hmm. river. So, um, and it's it's actually has a nice little subplot um, mm. mixed in with it too, with a nice. minor villain group. So enjoy that. I'm excited. Yeah. But yeah, so that's I've been playing that uh, since I had the whole uh, DS setup that I'm going to have to use for a while. I also uh, decided that I wanted to occasionally pop... I popped in uh, the DS remake of Front Mission 1. Cool. Which I had never gotten around to. More and giant robots, yay. I'm always <laughs> I'm always here for giant robots, as it turns out. Uh, I spent... I was baffled when I started that up, and it asked me for a name, and I gave it that, and then it asked me for a call sign. So I then spent way too long deciding what that was going to be and settled on Tough Boy... Uh, and uh, congratulations to anyone who watched the fairly bad anime that that is a reference to Uh, and that I went through a mission or so of that and that's like that's a good thing to do like a mission or so of and then uh, sort of pop off so that's a neat game it's kind of a shame how haphazard front mission localizations were in English. We've got one, three, and four. That's random. Uh, two has a mostly complete P- translation of the PS1 version. Five has a complete PS2 ver- uh, translation. Uh, the action spinoff that's actually quite good, uh, Front Mission Gun Hazard on Super Nintendo also has a uh, translation. So I remember it's... that one. <laughs> I played that one on cartridge. Yeah, Gun Hazard's really fun, actually. Like, way better yeah. than the idea of side-scrolling action game based off of Front Mission would make you think. But yeah, yeah, so... I'll probably be slowly powering through that series over the next year or so. Uh, did, is the DS version of 1 the, the only version of that we got, or did we get... Only version we got. That's what I thought. It's based on the PS1 version. It's like 2007 or so era Square translation, so it's a pretty solid translation. So we got three, four, and then one. Yes. Weird. We skipped five, which most people seem to say is better than four. Uh, 
and we never got any version of two. Also on DS in Japan, they released a compilation of the cell phone titles called like Front Mission Twenty Eighty or something. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get that either. Like we got the S Front Mission one, and then they were just they lost confidence in the affair entirely. Uh, Twenty eighty nine. That's what it was. I don't think anyone's fan translated that, which is kind of a shame. Like I like when phone games get like phone games with actual effort in them get ported to consoles because that there is no way you can still play Front Mission Twenty Eighty Nine on a phone. <laughs> but, yeah. So. Yeah. So that that's the other thing. Uh, since I yeah, like I said, since I got. Uh, my DS all set up, so nice. That's where I've been. <laughs> I'm playing a lot of Paper Mario on the go. Ah, Paper Mario, the Origami King. Yes, it's extremely good, extremely well well written. Has one of the saddest moments in any Mario or. It's even it's been weird repeatedly played. seeing people get really depressed at a very specific scene that I keep it's, seeing these articles about. Yeah, it's. It's something else. <laughs> uh, but it's been very good. Like, the combat has not worn out its welcome. They do a good job of, like, not bashing you over the head with it. Like, as much mm. as I love uh, Thousand Year Door, pretty sure there's too much combat in that game. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little... There's a, so... there's a lot of uh, stuff in... Thousand Year Door, I'd be like, this would be good if there was about twenty five percent less of it. <laughs> yeah, I. Is Origami King still skirting the edges of cute horror. Uh, sometimes yes, not always. Sometimes it's just goofy. And, and sometimes it plunges straight into horror. Okay. Yes, yes, as you do. <laughs> yeah, it does a lot of different things. It's it's really good. Like I, I am probably the biggest sticker star defender. Um, although that game obviously still has a good number of issues, uh, this is this is way up there as far as this series goes. It's very, very good. I mean, Sticker Star was also their first attempt at a uh, entirely new formula, so yeah, it would it, be expected that it has issues. Yeah, there's a lot of ex- experiment experimental stuff about that that doesn't always work. Like, I felt like the combat in that was more annoying than fun, whereas this, it's like, even if you're trying to avoid it, it's not that big a deal. They they do a good job of, like, the, the basic encounters getting you through quick. Even if you screw up and take some damage, they still kind of uh, get you through it quick. Like, a lot of the enemy attacks involve enemies throwing another enemy at you and then killing that enemy to kind of keep things sped up so like normal normal encounters are all about like basically trying to burn down your resources and making you take damage so you have to use healing items and such um and obviously they're a good way to earn coin if you need it although i haven't really needed it so far but it's just really good i the the bosses are one of the best parts about it for sure and I think a lot of them I've had to actually, like, wiped and had to redo. So, <laughs> there's some challenge in there. It's Obviously, it's not super hard. 
but it's it's a lot of fun and I highly recommend it to anyone. Just get over the fact that it's not an RPG and play it. It's great. Let may, it be let it be its own thing. Yeah, it may end up my favorite in the series. We'll see. Hmm, high praise. Yeah, it's yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you it's 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 way better than even I thought it would be. <laughs> what have you been uh, playing, Gajan? Oh, I'm I'm into the end game of Hero Land, aka work by work. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure when the actual ending is because I'm up to the third final boss that I can count. <laughs> Because this game does not know when to quit in the most ridiculous way possible. <laughs> it's just going to keep generating new final bosses. Oh, I mean, it make and it even makes sense the way the last three have appeared. I'm just like, okay, if I manage to finally beat this third one, will there be another another final boss? Because um, oh. they, ha I say three final bosses, none of them have been the same boss. <laughs> We're not talking three forms of the same boss here. We're talking I beat the first boss, yay! There's a party. Somebody steals the MacGuffin artifact, turns into the next final boss. <laughs> it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. And, I mean, actually, I'm amazed at how much I'm keeping up with the story in this one because I've set the text to fast forward and it's in Japanese. <laughs> and I am rather impressed with my ability to keep track of what's going on, despite the fact that there are, at best count, five different factions, all of whose leaders are part of your recruitable party, who are leading their forces, and their forces are all dis disguised as otter people, who are <laughs> supposedly tourists at the theme park that you're working at. And none of these groups can keep track of who their own members are because they're all disguised as otter people. So <laughs> every time there's a large group of otters that, that you're listening to, and they're all trying to figure out exactly whose side which one each one of them is on, and there's at least three that are actually tourists. <laughs> and don't realize that everyone else is like secret agents or spies or holy paladin order or a mercenary group or an assassin's guild. <laughs> and it just, and like every time I go through a new section, I'm like, okay, I didn't think it was going to get more ridiculous. It did. It yes. did. Um, the theme park is actually the CEO of the theme park is actually the former uh, dark Lord. Um, who um, he's the first of the three final bosses so far and um, because he's still rather peeved at the group of heroes that defeated him the last time um, rather imbecilic um, evil versions of those heroes will be appearing as bosses and sub-bosses throughout the game just for the heck of it hmm. and two of the old heroes do join your party and they have their own comments to make on their evil versions that they fight against it from time to time um the priest the uh, the uh, priestly guy from the old heroes is like okay why am i a mummy why is my evil got version a mummy many questions yes and the the sorceress character from the um from the um, old heroes group who is um she's like i think she's canonically like 60 something years old but she doesn't look it because of magic and her evil version is actually a reskinned succubus with a bad ha hairdo and a crown and a bikini. And, wow. Yeah, and she's looking at this and she's like, yeah, that seems about right. 
And everybody's like, what? Well, points for admitting it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, seriously, play this game. It is all sorts of ridiculous. I just got my copy in from Xseed. Yay. Which seems to be the yeah. only place you can still order a new copy of the physical edition. Really? Cool. Yeah, direct from Xseed. Hmm. But yeah, it's... um. It is a hoot and a holler and a what in the world just happened here. <laughs> really especially, with some the, especially with some of the uh, character side quests. Because, um, I mean, your, main, your actual character is the tour guide at this theme park. And all of your party members are guests. And so they can order special um, side quests from you. <laughs> and this one character has decided that she wants to live out her own version of the story Momotaro. Except hmm. that instead of being found inside a giant peach, she was found inside a g- giant head of Romanesco broccoli, or cabbage, or whatever it is. Really leaving that whole Momotaro part behind. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, instead of being Momotaro, she's um, Romanesco. That makes sense. And she still has to find the equivalent of a dog, a monkey, and a pheasant to feed the dumplings to get on her side so she can finally take down the evil ogre. <laughs> So, it gets really, really, really silly. Uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. I'm kind of ready for it to be over, but at the same time, I'm like, how are they going to continue this? You still <laughs> want to see where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it just keeps getting sillier and sillier and sillier. That's good. That's yeah. uh. But yeah, as it is, I just I probably need to decide what I'm playing next, if I or whatever it is. But because it can't go on that much longer. Yeah. Oh, it definitely can't. Um, I'm definitely in the final level. It's just mm-hmm. how many more final bosses can the game throw at me? When is enough enough? can never have too many final bosses. You can. It's actually possible. Okay, final... Or not final. Uh, Persona 3 had too many final bosses. Or too many final boss forms, at least. Mm. So, uh, Saga Frontier 2, too many final boss forms. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that covers most of what we're playing. And, uh got it out of our system so we can get to some of the questions that have managed to accumulate while we were out. Yay, questions. Quite a number so far, actually. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of covered one because someone was asking about Metal, us playing Metal Max 3, so... It was the same guy as before. Yeah, yeah. Tolero. So, um... There was a little Spanish fleet A record star He thought he'd be he heard of singers like Beatles, the chipmunks he's seen on TV. Why not a little Spanish flea? And so he did. Inside a dog.
And we're back after uh, some internet connectivity issues. Noted outages. <laughs> Probably having to do with me complaining about uh, internet con- companies. I can't believe they heard you record this. Monsters. Uh, uh, die, monster. I believe we're getting to questions of some kind. Yeah, yeah. We're about we're about to the point where... Don't worry. While, while we were out, we just discussed Metal Max for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Sweet. Only 20 minutes? I thought we were t- going on for longer than that. We could have. Yeah. Uh, oh, we could still keep going. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll probably have, like, once I've finished and Wheels has played a significant amount, we should do, like, a side cast that's just about Metal Max 3. Yes. But, uh... And, yes, I am willing to tacitly assume that I will finish the game long before Wheels does. Um, yeah, probably. But, yeah. Uh, so... I don't think we ever hit the questions on 171 because they the last one was recorded on July 29th, which is when we recorded episode 172. So, that's so oh, oh right, right, right. Intern power outage. Yeah, remember <laughs> For that. For a week. Yes. Uh, <sighs> so yeah, let's let's hit those first and then move into the later ones. This one's from uh, Shaman and uh, mentioning. Just listening to the start of the show, fan discs, or I guess fan cards, have come over in the visual novel realm a bit. Access localized one of the Code Realized ones earlier this year, and they have one for Collar X Malice coming out in mid-August. Yeah, I'll admit that I have very little uh, understanding of the visual novel market as it currently exists, so like that's, that's mm-hmm. one where it's like, I can only speak that RPG fan discs never really got any sort of localization, but uh, yeah, visual novels, different ballgame, different kettle of fish. Yeah, when people start talking about visual novels, my brain just turns off. I just get really upset because it's usually like the because uh, I'm the angry person that understands to some degree the difference between different kinds of Japanese adventure game and gets really upset when people start lumping lumping together like, oh, they're all visual novels. It's like, no, they're all different. <laughs> Phoenix Wright is not a visual novel. It is tracing its lineage to things more like uh, Portopia serial murder case. Yeah, I was going to say. And like, I was gonna, I was gonna Ace... say, the last one I played for PlayStation was Circadia, and like, this is a Persona game without the battles. Yeah. Hmm. It is very much a Persona game without the battles. <laughs> yeah, and that, like, that gets you into like, well, Persona's not visual novel, it's like life sim game mixed with uh, traditional RPG, which is a little different as well. And dates yeah. it more to like more in lineage with something like Tokyo Memo than uh, a true visual novel. This is this is something I can get really upset about. And then of course you get to the the uh, difference between a visual novel and a sound novel, a term that never traveled across the Pacific. Uh, yeah, let's maybe not do that. I don't think anyone but me is interested in that. Oh boy, sound novels. They're less visual than visual novels. You're shocked. <laughs> Shocking. But, but probably still better than Tears to TR. I mean, again, the problem you had with that was not that it was a visual novel. It was that it was a bad novel. It's but, true. Yeah. It's true. But, yeah. Uh, so, moving on to Shaman's actual question. 
main reason I haven't backed Auden Chronicle is because they're only going to do a Switch version if the Switch 2 isn't out and the downgrade to Switch doesn't wreck the game. Do you think we'll know details of the Switch's successor by the time a game promising an October 2022 release date would go into de- would go into development? Well, I mean, it's already going to have gone into development. It's just that the Switch port will probably be the last version that they make. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But as for that, I would suspect that game's not coming out until mid-2023 at the earliest. I know that they're going to do their best, but it's not coming out in October 2022. I'm willing to bet that right now. Uh, and, at this point, who knows how long the Switch is actually going to last because it is surviving. I mean, it is the clear winner thriving. of this. Yeah. It, it, the only thing that's thriving more than the Switch is the coronavirus at this point. <laughs> that's morbid. Uh, yes, it is morbid, but what was but it's it? it's also not they, wrong. Yeah. It's like, what, they've raised the number of units in production to 25 million by next March. Because it makes um, sense and, to do so is the horrifying thing. Uh, no, e- And even better, because a lot of the uh, manufacturers that had been prioritizing smartphones have been finding a, a drop in smartphone sales because of pandemic but yeah switch switch is still going up so they've suddenly switched straight over to switch production like like that makes that is in that is a thing that their production lines are perfectly equipped to make (laughs) yes Uh, and what was it um first quarter first quarter earnings reported was 160 percent above (laughs) expectations Animal Crossing New Leaf as a single video game that has not been around for a holiday season sales boom has sold 20 million copies. That's insane. It's what sold out, um, it has outsold every single one of its predecessors in the series altogether by a factor of two. I, I remember the thing, yeah, the thing that I remember people getting really depressed about was Animal Crossing New Leaf, the video game, has outsold the Metroid franchise. Holy just <laughs> annihilate. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. like so yeah. who would have guessed that a game that was all about being able to go outside and enjoy yourself without any cares and would strike such a cultural cooperate with your neighbor. <laughs> it even spawned its own weird late night talk show. Yeah. <laughs> and also Danny Trejo plays it. That was a weird thing That's to know. Weird. There was, like, at least one podcast I was seeing that had Danny Trejo as their Animal Crossing correspondent. <laughs> but, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Brie Larson plays it. That makes sense. Danny Trejo? That uh, makes a little less sense. What? Uh, but, yeah. Like, I, I would suspect that by 2023, we'll probably have... I would suspect that by 2023, developers for the Switch 2 will have dev kits for it. Yeah. Yes. That would be my suspicion. So, yeah, because like developers are going to get dev kits for this thing long before it actually comes out. Yeah, and they, yeah. you never know; they may do like another, uh, they shouldn't, but another new 3ds type situation. I've got my doubts at, that they bother with that. Yeah, but yeah. Well, there, been, however, if they don't make the next Switch backwards compatible with the original, that then would they're missing out massively. Yeah, yeah, that would be them shooting themselves in the face. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of there was uh, this was something I saw people pointing out a few weeks ago. Uh, Nvidia, who makes the Tegra chip that powers the uh, Switch, just recently started staffing up for like developing that line to do things that you would expect a next-gen console to do. Mm, like specifically, one of the things they were talking about was like, uh, let me. I had a note of what this was because ray like, tracing. One of the, 
No, it's not ray tracing, but it's a similarly like really weird technical feature. Trilinear filtering. I don't even, no, I don't even know if I uh, made that up. DLSS research, DLSS research okay. in the Tigra line was what they were staffing up for. Uh, DLSS stands for deep learning super sampling, hmm. huh. which would be useful for the for a theoretical Switch successor. So one of the things that Switch games typically do to reduce power draw and to generally like keep the frame rate up is that they'll they'll uh, limit the actual internal resolution of the game and then blow it up basically to fill to fill the screen. And like that, like some people really don't like dynamic resolution, but a lot of Switch games use it. So what DLSS is, it's using it, it stands for deep learning super sampling, and what it's doing is it's like using machine learning to concoct a higher resolution base image out of a low resolution base image. Huh. So the idea for a theoretical Switch 2 using DLSS would be that the game can render at a really small internal resolution, like 540p or something, and then use DLSS to blow it up to like 1080p, 2160p, something like that. For the TV. So it's not actually rendering in that. It's just figuring out how it would render it in that, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Without like how actually it would doing look it, if it was rendering in that using machine learning. That is and you can get co- wild. <laughs> you can get like tensor cores that are actually really good doing this kind of calculation. So, like, they're staffing up to specifically focus on building that feature into the Tigra line. There's not a lot of things in the Tigra line that would ever consider using that feature. So I think that might be something we see on the Switch too, if they can get it running properly. But it's it's an interesting idea. Uh, <laughs> keeping keeping within the Tigra line would basically guarantee almost, fu- if not full backwards compatibility. So I, I suspect that's probably where they're looking at. But yeah, so that's... I thought that was interesting. I thought that was worth bringing up. So, uh, but yeah, Aiden Chronicle. I backed it. Uh, I'm hoping that it comes out on Switch or, uh, like, knowing that it'll come out on Switch or the Switch successor whenever that happens. Like, sure, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm just uh, thinking about this. But has anyone has anyone thought about how the title Aiden Chronicle is actually rhetorical? Uh, rhetorical in what fashion? Or not rhetorical. Whatever it is. When the fact that Aiden means chronicle. Yeah. Redundant. Oh. Yes, redundant. There we go. Sorry, uh, no. Yeah, redundant. redundant title. Yeah. Auden literally means heroic chronicle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious what it, if it'll actually launch with that title in Japan or if they're. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't launch with that title in Japan because most Japanese people wouldn't remember what chronicle means either. Fair, fair. So it's just, it's slightly confusing for everyone, which is kind of perfect. But it it sounds exotic, and that's kind of what they want, so... Let's see. Looking at, for the record, uh, that is now halfway through its Kickstarter. It's raised just about $3 million. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're up to 106 playable characters, I think. Uh, They seem to be building towards 108 for some reason. Hmm, Uh, Interesting. And they have just reached the, uh, or they are just about to reach their 12,000 as of this recording from reaching the racing mini game uh, stretch goal. 
we've gotten some really good like silly stretch goals. Uh, so the first mini game stretch goal was of course cooking mini game because Sui Coden Two was just famous for that. Uh, we've gotten uh, it's getting localized into a number of languages. I can only imagine that that's mostly on the publisher's dime, but. Uh, Chinese localization, Brazilian Portuguese localization, uh, just uh, in addition to like English, French, uh, Spanish, Italian localization. The stan- standard Euro quartet. Yeah, but in addition, like Chinese and uh, Brazilian Portuguese. Uh, a bunch of uh, some new characters, a top battling minigame. Is is there any stretch goal that ensures us this won't become uh, Mighty Number no. Nine RPG Edition? Uh, the way that these stretch goals are worded is very careful because a lot of them are things that you would do if you have a bigger staff. Okay. Like none of these are huge scope increases. Like. Good. Good. The 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 core scope of the game is a hundred and blank. Hopefully eight heroes. Uh, and then you've got like mini games that you would assign staff to if you've got more staff, which I would imagine there's a bunch of stuff at the bottom that's like we're in talks with publishers who will be funding lar- most of this game. Uh, there's discussion about like we have various like sub studios that various parts of this will be contracted out to if we reach certain funding thresholds. So the idea is that a lot of like they have, like, in place this large network of, like, well, if we have money to do this, we subcontract it out to this studio because that'll keep us from being delayed working on it or having to split our priorities. Mm. So, like, the actually looking at their, like, discussion about how the funding works is actually quite enlightening and very confidence-boosting, so... That's yeah. Good. Who would be your dream publisher for this? Or, like, ideal publishing partner? If you I don't. One. I don't terribly care. I would suspect it's probably someone like Five Hundred Five Games, who's been moving yeah. a lot into this space recently. Uh, I don't have an ideal because, like, it doesn't really matter to me by virtue of the fact that half the reason they're doing this Kickstarter is that they keep the IP once this is all said and done. Mm. So the. People who made this, like the the IP stays with the new studio, Rabbit and Bear Studios. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. That's good to see. Uh, interested to see where funding finally uh, ends on that. But like, I, I admit, I was not bullish on how much and how how many Sui Coden fans would spend and how many of them there were. But uh, I'm glad to have been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I was certainly surprised. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, and then from uh, Budai, what is the first RPG you know of that has character swapping, meaning you can choose who is in your party? Uh, choose before or after you start the game. Before or after you start the game. And in addition, like, if we're talking created characters, we're going back to, like, wizardry. Yeah. Can we not go back to wizardry? Uh, too bad. <laughs> no. But, 
You know, but yeah, Wizardry would let you do that. Um, would let you gain new characters after after the game started. Yeah. Like, you could just decide, like, oh, I'm done with this wizard. I'm going to go make someone else. Why would you ever be done with a wizard? Yeah, that's exactly what he was asking for. So, yes, he goes back to wizardry. Bad example. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, bad for you, but at the same time, it's still, like, one of the case examples for the entire Japanese genre. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's it's really fascinating to go back and, like, if you look at the lineage of the JRPG, it's like Ultima and wizardry fingerprints are all over the beginning of this genre. That and the Dungeons and Dragons Fiend Folio. Oh yeah, man! They had to change because a bunch it, of the sprites in Final Fantasy One because of that. <laughs> it's like, why do you think there are ogres and ogre mages in the swamp cave or marsh cave? Because uh, they're in the Fiend Folio. Um, why do you think? Um, well, Ochul. Where does Ochul yeah. come from? As it turns out, it's what you get when you try to bring into English the attempt to bring into Katakana the name Ochug. From the theme folio. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, why are or like the fucking co-year-olds, I think is what they're called in Final Fantasy, that are just the, the rolls. Yeah. The originally displacer beasts? Yeah, they're just displacer beasts. <laughs> yeah. Or even better, um, not just Final Fantasy, but throughout the genre, if you look up kobolds, you will find a dog-like humanoid yeah. race. Yeah. You'll find these in Star Ocean. You'll find these in Class of Heroes. You'll find these in Monster Mon Piece. You'll find them, you'll in, find them in various manga that are making fun of wizardry-type dungeons. Because yeah. first edition Dungeons & Dragons, kobolds were dog humanoids. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, man. That reminds me of... Uh, I, was, I was thinking about the Suicoden kobolds because one of them has my favorite uh, weapon name ever. Which is in Suicoden One. You guys remember this? So good. Uh, I've never played Suicoden games, so just please oh, tell me. Should. So ah. there is there is a uh, a kobold in Suicoden One who's like a dog man uh, named Gon, and Gon. Most of his dialogue boils down to him saying "Hooray!" Mm-hmm. And Gon's weapon, so in Suicoden, like, weapons sharpen from one to another, so, like, they just, after they sharpen high enough, they grow into a new weapon. So his weapon mm-hmm. starts out as sword, then at level 7 sharpness, it turns into cool sword, <laughs> and then at level 13 sharpness, it turns into very neat sword. <laughs> and that is, as far as I am concerned, the greatest video game sword name ever. Come and collect your prize, going for the very neat sword. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, sorry, I just I just needed to have that tangent. Uh, a lot of the art in this game is in Suicoden One is very sketchy, but I very much like Gon's portrait as well. Yeah. That game just rules. But yeah, but yeah, that. If anyone ever wondered why kobolds and Japanese RPGs are almost always doggy, it's because it's based on first edition Fiend Folio. <laughs> yep. And it's one of those things, it's like, oh, oh, you just, it's its based on when you copied it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, second edition and on, they were, they were all, uh, like, supposedly draconic type monsters. Yeah, they the became time. lizardy things. But the thing is, all of the Japanese developers cut their teeth on first edition and didn't bother going past that. Because yeah. Sword World 
Sword World picked up from there, and Sword World still kept a lot of the races similar to First Edition. Yeah, like, there became a homegrown tabletop RPG, so... Yeah. Let's see. Uh, to move on to the 172 questions, got this one from uh, Strawberry Eggs. First off, happy 10th anniversary. Yay. Uh, I'm not certain how much I can talk about the Nintendo, quote, Giga Leak, but it does bring to mind a few un- a few related questions. I find beta information about video games fascinating, but companies are usually quite tight-lipped about them. Uh, I love learning about the older versions of Pokemon and the first few games, generations, even mods that were scrapped entirely. How the leak happened is a terrible way to go. It's a terrible way to go about getting that information. But should companies be more f- forthcoming about betas and scrapped ideas? Uh, maybe, but mm. on if I were the one advising these companies, I would say no. No, they should yeah, not. No. Um, like to to be totally honest, when when companies talk about things that aren't yet implemented. They usually, like, look at every modern reaction to an early, like, concept trailer for a game and see how many people complain that this unimplemented game was significantly better than the game that actually came out, regardless of the fact that that game doesn't exist. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Like, to... Oh, good. Because I have one of the few examples I can personally think of though it's about a game nobody really cared about, um, Atelier Lee's on the DS, the screenshots that we got from their first um, from their first uh, round of promotion are mm-hmm. significantly different from the game that actually happened. Yeah. I mean, not, signif- not just, okay, the graphics are a little different. The gameplay mechanics are obviously different. It's just a fundamentally different game as happens throughout the course of development. Yes. Um, I mean, this also jives with the fact that Atelier Lee's got delayed by almost a year at one point. Obviously because they had to dump the entire original build and start from scratch. Yeah, like that, when you're talking about a DS game, that's about enough time to just remake the game. <laughs> yeah. And oddly enough, a lot of the stuff in the original set of media maps much closer to the game Nora's Timely Studio for the DS <laughs> than it does to Atelier Lee's. Well, we which didn't want to throw this out, even though... Their... <laughs> yeah, which tells me they got their act together by the time they got to the unofficial fourth um, Atelier game on the DS. So, the but, unofficial yeah. fourth, because it wasn't named. So... And it, yeah, but yeah, and as much as I'd love to see these kinds of things come out more often, I can, if I were the one making decisions, I would absolutely be of the opinion that they should not be released. Yeah. Uh, like. So I do. Another thing I randomly remember is from 20 years ago on the old World of Nintendo forums. Yeah. There was this one guy who I, I, I can actually remember his, his his user handle was Emperor Frieza. <laughs> and he claimed that he had an uncle who was, like, on the Nintendo of America localization team or something, and man- managed to get him a beta copy of Ocarina of Time. It was <laughs> jaggy as hell, apparently. But he was able to figure out, among other things, that, like, um, the temp- the Forest Temple's boss was originally supposed to be a giant Poe, and the Shadow Ganon was supposed to be the Temple of Light boss. But they mm-hmm. cut out the Temple of Light level completely. Mm. things like this yeah and like that's 
Yeah, I mean, he liked to report back on very random things he was able to discover in between crashing the game regularly. Trying Ocarina to get was, serious. Ocarina yeah. is one of those ones that is fascinating because, like, there's lots of bits of build for it from various points in its development from very early on. And, like, periods where they were not at all clear about what a 3D Zelda game was going to look like. But, yeah, yeah the, the way I would look at this is that, like, uh, I don't think we're ever going to get this kind of information outside of very controlled retrospectives. Like, occasionally Nintendo pulls things out of the vault. Like, there's mm -hmm. the early... There's the, the Wii Super Mario All-Stars is... Largely just a dull emulation of the Super uh, Nintendo game, which, I mean, good Super Nintendo game still. A bit much to ask for $30 to just emulate it, but whatever. Uh, but it came with, in its initial print, a, like, scans of the design documents for Mario, for Super Mario Brothers 1. Really? And those were pretty interesting because they make it clear some of the things that, like, are very core to how we perceive Mario 1 and were very important to the game as a whole... We're not made for the we're not decisions made for the reasons you'd assume. So like one of Goombas them was the, the last enemy designed. <laughs> one of the one of the things that always struck me was that that game was originally supposed to have A shoots, B runs, and up jumps. Hmm. And if you've ever played a game where up jumps, that feels awful. Yes, it does. But the reason, the reason they chose not to do that is not that that feels awful. It's that they realized that there would be nothing stopping you from continually running forward and shooting like a maniac. <laughs> and they didn't want you to be able to do that. So they made shoot and run the same button so that you wouldn't be able to do that. And also it freed up a button that they could use for jump, which made it so that that would feel better anyway. Mm-hmm. And so those, those design documents are pretty interesting. They're very controlled about them. Nintendo is also kind of the only company that this could ever happen to because they're the only ones that seem to keep actual records of essentially everything they've ever done. Like, yep. the, like the, the example I heard brought up, and it's not an accurate example, is like... Square lost the source code to half of their early PS2 games. Nintendo has still prototypes for games that never went into production on the Super Nintendo. Jeez. No, no, not just Super Nintendo, all the way back to the Famicom. Yeah, That's how Akira like Star Knight happened. Yeah, like they just... They just kept everything. They kept source code from games they didn't make that were just submitted yeah. to them because they were the platform holder and had to look at it like that was the reason i remember that we got a seiken densetsu 3 translation on the mm -hmm. collection of mana was that oh well we didn't have it obviously but nintendo did <laughs> yeah no I'm, just, i mean I, again kira kira star knight it was this, yeah this arrow um this erotic manga artist somehow got his hands on a beta copy of a pitch game that nintendo turned down mm-hmm and got together with his friend, the computer programmer, and somehow managed to make a new game out of it. <laughs> that kind of thing. And it's like, I'm not sure how in the world did you even find a pitch copy cartridge of an unreleased, unfinished Famicom game? <laughs> yeah. 
That stuff, like, there's there's an entire yeah. scene of people that desperately look for that, and you'll occasionally find it. And the if you oh, oh that reminds me, this is not Nintendo Giga Leak. Nintendo didn't even didn't make this, but it's a weird game. If you've never seen it, go look up BioForce Ape. I've talked about it before. I don't care. Go look up BioForce Ape. <laughs> BioForce Ape. BioForce Ape. A P E A P E Ape. It is a game about. Uh, experimented on like monkey that turns into a horrible wrestler ape man who then fights other horrible like uh, animal man people to try to rescue its kindly scientist owner it's a very strange game (laughs) someone found it like 10 years ago it's uh, it had a legacy long before that because it got previewed in Nintendo Power and someone made a fake version of it to troll people on forums I'm reading the Lost Levels article on this. I'm like, wait a moment. The California Raisins game never actually existed? Because I remember reading about that one in a magazine. That one came out... That one was far enough along that it got reviewed. That game did not come out, but it was done. Uh, I actually remember what some some of the details of that were, because apparently my brain will not let go of anything. But I remember laughing at one level called The Maze Maze. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there was, like... And the fourth level had an apple press boss that would try to ju- drip apple juice on you, and you had to figure out how to hit him because he couldn't directly attack him or something. It's like all sorts of weird things. But yeah, you okay. should you should absolutely scroll down far enough into this article until you reach uh, the fake version, which ends with the the immortal. A uh, fake screenshot of Bioforce Ape punching a butter mos- monster while shouting "Eat communism." Yeah. <laughs> See, California uh, Raisins was discovered at a used game retailer. English language version of Earthbound's NES predecessor immersion to gaming. Wasn't Earthbound Zero originally a fake? No, like, the so- original was confirmed by the person who localized Earthbound Zero to have okay. been his work. His, I remember. I mean, I thought there was one where somebody took the ROM and translated it and had it printed onto an old NES cartridge and passed it off as the real deal. There was debate about that cartridge, but like eventually, I think Lost Levels uh, as well got in contact with the person who's credited in that localization, who did work at Nintendo at the time, and he looked at what was in the ROM and he said, yeah, this looks like what I did. And people, the other way people verified it was that the censorship in that version of the game is what's in the Mother 1 and 2 Game Boy Advance compilation. Oh, things like the Red Cross symbol disappearing? Red Cross symbol disappearing. Like, there's, like, Smoking Crows or something that had their cigarettes, like, uh, removed. Uh. So, yeah, that was an an actual cartridge that was actually prototyped and made for some sort of Nintendo purposes. But, yeah, unclear... Uh, what exactly caused it, but yeah, it it was actually a genuine cartridge. But yeah. His Browns uh, post continued, four members retreated to odd cutscenes, questionable enemy designs, and then this. What in the world is... What in the world is that? It appears to be a weird Bioforce ape fart attack that is causing background tiles to disappear. Okay. Yeah, I am made of your. I am made of der butter, and you are with. Okay, eat communism. Eat communism. 
No one was questioning why the game that had supposedly just been discovered was referencing arguments made about the game that had just been discovered. <laughs> and then he smashed the cartridge to pieces. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, eventually they did find actual Bioforce Ape, and it's somehow even weirder. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. Uh, there, if you Google Bioforce Ape, Lost Levels article will be one of the first uh, things you find. At the bottom, it has a YouTube link of a full playthrough of what of what exists on the uh, cartridge, and it's uh, it's something. Aye, aye, aye. Things to look for: a kangaroo with a man's torso where his crotch ought to be, a breakdancer that appears once in the game and is killed with one hit, and the epic t- with the epic final battle of Doctor Mister Bad Guy. <laughs> Doctor Mr. Bad Guy. There's there's a good name there. Yep. Yeah. Oh dear. But yeah. As as the last uh re- the last one as the last case study I will point out as to why developers typically don't do this, I'll point out a case where a developer divulged too much about a game that was nowhere near finished and it became a problem. Uh Resident Evil four? Uh, was first divulged to the public as existing in, like, 2000. Uh, and here I thought you were going to go Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> FF15 is very different because FF15 is largely reflective of what was told about it before the release. It was just that Square irresponsibly promised its release way sooner than it should have. Uh-huh. Okay, but, okay so continue, Biohazard. Yeah, uh, Resident Evil 4 was announced in about 2000. Its first version turned into Devil May Cry. The second version version they showed was this weird thing about Leon Kennedy on an aircraft. That doesn't show up in the final game at all. But uh, the most famous version of it that's not the released version is the quote-unquote Hookman version, which Shinji Mikami famously introduced at an E3 conference by saying, don't piss yourself. Uh, and that version was a very strange version that revolved around, like, you being stalked by what looked like ghosts, and a lot of very strange, uh, technically unfeasible ideas were going into that version. That version had to be canned because it was almost impossible to actually make their ideas work uh, based on the technology they had available. And even now, like the, the way that you would have to design such a game, they would never do. But the issue is that there is still a hardcore group of people that are very upset that that version didn't come out and are still furious at Capcom to this day. It's been 15 years. Um, This is why people don't tell you about things that aren't finished yet. (laughs) Because you'll think there's some secret hidden treasure that would have been the best thing ever. You will assume that the only thing that caused them not to come out is some sort of capriciousness on the developer's part. Yes. And the answer is almost always... Some I, something about how the game was being made was not possible to finish. Or it in just Resident Evil, sucked. <laughs> yeah, or like when you did it, it wasn't fun. Like, uh, to, to bring up the Resident Evil 4 thing I was talking about, I was mentioning that some parts of it were technically unfeasible. The big gimmick that they had cooked up for that was that you would be able to, you, to simulate that Leon's mental state was not where it ought to be. You would have situations where you would walk down a hallway, turn around, and find that you're in a different hallway. And, like, that's a really cool idea to pitch on paper, and it sounds really cool. You can write all sorts of game design ideas around the weird non-Euclidean environments you can make out of that. But 
keeping all of those environments resident in memory would have caused huge problems for actually making a video game. Especially one with the graphical fidelity that Resident Evil 4 was shooting for on uh, GameCube. So that had to be scrapped. It just wasn't possible to make. And, I mean, they just had to go back to the drawing board, as you do. Because once your core idea that you're building the game around proves unfeasible, you can't just try gluing other things around it. You get a broken game from that. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of other ones where it's just like... I remember... Oh, this is, this is kind of a silly one, but it's it's RPG adjacent. adjacent. So, either of you play Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic? Yes. Nope, I figure Wheels would have. Yes. Uh, there's, there is a boss, uh, there is not a boss, I should say. There is a non-boss in that, that the game builds up a lot that you don't actually fight, called the Crate Dragon, that you fight on, like, uh, Dantooine. Or not Dantooine, Tat like the, the, the desert planet. You fight the Crate, you don't fight Tatooine. the Crate Dragon. It, it's, it's, I think it's not actually Tatooine. I think they gave it a different name, but yeah, it's basically Tatooine. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, Wales, do you remember this? You get, you, Vaguely. like, yeah, you fight, you, you find this cutscene where it's like, you fight, there's a crate dragon here, and this, uh, bounty hunter approaches you, and he's like, hey, help me, uh, help me lure this thing out, and it'll eat some landmines and die. And that all happens in a cutscene. Soon after the game came out, the developers admitted why this was the case. This is, uh, and the answer was, fighting it wasn't fun. All that happened when you fought it is that it ate you, and the game usually was over. Like, there was very few... It was very hard to make saves against that, and it was just not a fun fight to have. So they <laughs> cut it. <laughs> like, sometimes you cut something because, as it turns out, when you actually play it, it's not fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it's the last example of... If you... Uh, the, like, a lot of times we know about these kinds of things because the developers over-promise before the game comes out. And another one of those would be Sonic the Hedgehog 06, <laughs> which had all sorts of promises made about how it was going to work, about its amazing new engine, about the day-night cycle, about all the RPG elements they were adding to it, about all the playable... Like, everything that was supposed to be in it. If you go look back at, like, what promises were made about what was supposed to be in that game, it's like, oh, you fool, you absolute idiot. Why would you promise this if you haven't implemented it? This is a huge... So much technical debt. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Does, like, it's so obvious. The more you promise about a game that's not out, the more obvious it is when you have had to cut something. Mm -hmm. And the more you... Fable. Get, Fable, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say That's a huge Fable. one. Anything Molyneux has ever said, basically anything Molyneux has ever been involved with, like, you talked about too much that you wanted to do and you were never, ever going to have the time to. Yeah. And it ruins the reputation for those games, too, because they're all, they're fine at worst, games. decent. Yeah, they're fine, but they're just, they will never be what people wanted them to be. Yeah. But yeah, like, that's, that's kind of the issue is that, like, I, I can think of one game that's ever used this kind of hype, hype cycle to make a point, and that game ended up being maligned anyway. <laughs> Which one was that? Metal Gear Solid 2. Ah. Uh, which was a game about how its own previews were not reliable indicators of its content. <laughs> like, it is a game about how information can be controlled and people who have information can lie to you about what that information is. It is also a game where they showed previews where Snake is in scenes that he is not in in the final game. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And 
I can understand why that pissed people off, but it's also kind of brilliant. <laughs> but that that makes a lot of sense considering like Kojima is one of the kind of guys who really does like to make points in his yeah productions yeah. But yeah, like that that sort of thing is is one of the things like. But, you know, even if you get to the point where it's, like, in retrospective things, like, it's very hard to give people the context of, like, you can show them what you didn't do, but it's very hard to bring across why if they've never made a game. Mm -hmm. Or even, or just, like, worked on software at the very least. Like, that kind of project where, like, at the start of the thing, you have, like, a very concrete idea and you're certain that you've planned out everything... And then by the end of it, you're like, well, this is maybe half of what we originally intended to do, and it looks nothing alike, but it's it's what we did, and I think we're, I think it's good as it is. <laughs> so what was the Kawazu quote? When I don't think I've ever finished a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, when that's... somebody was bugging him about uh, <laughs> um, Scarlet Grace for switch yeah it was someone complaining about scarlet grace ambition saying like well why didn't you just wait until the game was finished before releasing it he's like this isn't finished i've never finished a game like there's always more you could be doing yeah yeah at some point you have to ship that's kind of like that's part of that's part of what's actually difficult about being a project lead is like being able to make those hard decisions of like i know this was really exciting it it can't make it we're just gonna have to throw Mm -hmm. it out yeah and so sometimes the case can just be oh we figured out this awesome like feature on paper and when you actually put it together it's like this never sucks (laughs) it just never works yeah but yeah so that's that's the reason why i think we'll never get official releases on this and it's a shame because some of the things in that huge leak are fascinating there's games that we had never had any indication they were in development or being prototyped. Like, a lot of these things that we've seen were, like, I don't think these were even at proof-of-concept stages, but they're interesting. There's, like, a Donkey Kong game that's in, like, Yoshi's Island-style graphics. Unclear when it was being made. Unclear, like, how far along it was. It doesn't even look like it's past proof-of-concept, but it's there. There's a lot of very interesting stuff in there, but... eh. It just didn't happen. And it's fascinating. I wish that I would absolutely love to have like some sort of official like, here's what it was. Here's how far along it got. Here's why it didn't happen. But like a lot of times the answer wouldn't even be that satisfying. It could be as much. We decided there was something else we wanted to make more. Mm -hmm. Like that's the other thing that I think often gets lost in uh, discussions of these kinds of things is that there's usually like this assumption that a company could be making infinite projects and like that just isn't like I know that people wouldn't think in those terms but like I think it especially comes up when you get to things like uh, why hasn't there been a new say F-Zero where it's like go go look at anyone who would be in a position to make an F-Zero they don't feel like making F-Zero they don't want to make F-Zero they would rather make something else and that's a very different like that that is not a satisfying answer but it's also like do you want a game made by someone who hates the idea of making it (laughs) (laughs) and that's also how you end up with other studios making a new game because they really wanted a game of this series but nobody was making them yeah so like you hire it out to someone who will make it and maybe they are or just you you make it yourself like um like class of heroes was originally supposed to be a wizardry game 
It was it pitched sure as good. a wizardry game. They got turned down for from the company that owns Wizardry to make the next game in the series, so they just did it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. As for RPG-related beta stuff, uh, I think my favorite stuff is all, like, core Final Fantasy, like, because all those have, like, the, the infamous statistic is that, like, they went through so many ideas for FF7 that those turned into, like, five different games. Like... I think avowedly, variously, uh, 7, 8, uh, 13, 15, and various portions of Parasite Eve all trace themselves to uh, various pitches for FF7 before that came out. (laughs) And it's just like, uh, that's surreal, because it's like, yeah, you can kind of see how, like, the same core group of people would have made all of those, or at least concepted them. Well, it's funny you say that, too, because all those games kind of feel like they merge together in FF7 Remake to some extent. There's, like, bits of all of them. It's, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, all sorts of things. Are like, And these are the kinds of information that you get from, like, uh, oral histories about that sort of thing. Like, there was an oral history of FF7, FF7 on, I want to say, like, Polygon a few years ago. And that's a fascinating one because it's just full of the internal debates about what the game should be. And uh, again, I've, I've mentioned this several times in different podcasts, but it's still one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard. In FF7, at the end of the disc two, at the end of this two, when your party jumps, into, jumps down to Midgar, there was a draft of that game where the intention was everyone who doesn't jump into Midgar dies. Huh. And it was something that heavily divided the team. And it especially, uh, like, most vocally it irritated uh, character designer Tetsuya Nomura, who directed the remake, by virtue of the fairly uh, accurate pointing out of the whole, like, the emotional impact of Aerith's death means nothing if you can just kill off 90% of the party in one scene. Mm. There is no... There is no... Imp- the impact of both scenes are blunted by both of them existing. He's <laughs> not wrong. Yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. Like, that kind of thing... Oh, th- here's another one that I really appreciate. Uh, Resident Evil 1... You can tell what franchises I know too much about. Uh, Resident <laughs> Evil 1 had a... Uh, the remake of Resident Evil 1, when they were trying to come up with ways to make zombies scary again... What they ultimately settled on was that zombies that die who are not disposed of properly will get back up and be stronger. So you had to be more worried about something you killed than something that you had run past. In For a brief period during that game's development, their decision was that some of the enemies would come back, would come back invisible. Oh. And the entire... Oh. The entire development team revolted against the director at that idea. <laughs> Just Good. no. Yeah. That was in there for like a day, and all of them said no. <laughs> okay, now this is reminding me of this Canadian novel I read called J-Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, Douglas Copeland. And um, it was like the main character was part of a game software development team. And 
the new boss came in and suddenly they kept trying to change things around because the new boss was actually trying to reconnect with his estranged son who's living with his ex-wife. <laughs> and so he kept trying to push in new ideas to try and make it something that his son might like. And so he decided that I'll gonna, make my son play it. <laughs> and it somehow morphed into a game with about a skateboarding turtle. <laughs> and through all these random decisions, the main character and his friends start to slowly rebel. And so secretly they're coding a completely different game about a like a demonic clown that is coming out of its hiding place to completely destroy this actual game that they're supposed to be making. <laughs> and at one point he gets his um, alcoholic dad in three sheets into the wind to record Ronald's voice. And it's completely ridiculous. And as it turns out, this ends up being the game that they make <laughs> and it becomes a bestseller. <laughs> it's, it's, a bizarre, really crazy game, like a, or novel. Like at one point, he manages to convince this Chinese mafia guy who's friends with his mother, the drug dealer, to get his boss shipped off to China, where he the boss ends up working at a sweatshop and gets addicted to heroin. Then he wow. has to go back. He has to go over to China to rescue his boss for some random reason, pull him back to Canada, and his boss is actually a nicer person now because of the heroin addiction. <laughs> On the edge of. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I'm still not sure how this book got into a used bookstore here in Japan, but it was really funny to read through, and I hope my uncle appreciates me giving it to him for Christmas one year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's just that... what made me think of, because the entire backstory of the novel is all about this kind of internal issues with game development. <laughs> That does remind me of one of my favorite, like, ridiculous game development stories that could only have happened in the early 80s. Uh, oh, uh, have either of you ever heard of the game Time Pilot? No. Yeah. It is a very, very old Konami shooter, like 1982. Uh, but basically, it was made by a guy who would, who's now very successful doing something very different. Uh, it was Yoshiki Okamoto, mm -hmm. who... Spent a long time at Capcom, but now would actually be more known for having made Monster Strike. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So Yoshiki Okamoto's... What, remind me, I need to write that review. Oh, yeah, important. But Yoshiki Okamoto's first game was a game called Time Pilot. Uh, he proposed the game Time Pilot to his boss at Konami, uh, but his boss rejected the pitch and told him to, told him to work on a driving game instead. And... Okamoto then instead just instructed his programmer to make Time Pilot anyway, <laughs> while giving fake updates about what this hypothetical racing game was, how that was doing. <laughs> By the time his boss actually saw what he was doing, it was too late to actually, well, you're just going to have to make this because this is the game that's done. Uh, and then the Time Pilot was more of a success than expected, and his boss took all the credit for it. So, video games... It's a wild business, isn't it? <laughs> yep. But, yeah. Anyway, should we actually move on to another question? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's real easy to get me to going down the like, like weird video game history rabbit hole. So let's move <laughs> okay. on. Okay. Uh, well, this, this is going to get us down to another one because we have got Dog Party here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. And the question okay. is, what are your favorite RPGs that have been fan-translated? Well, we'll hmm. we will clear Metal Max 3 off the table for the moment. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that off the... Off recording so much already. Is, yes. Are we going to learn uh, this to RPGs that have only been fan translated, or that maybe we played first? Yeah, because that's actually going to change like, things. Because like some games I've played, like 
I'm a huge fan of that. Like originally, we're only fan translated, and the beat yeah, like Se- that, That's how I played Seiken Densetsu Three originally. It was twenty years ago on a fan translation. That's how yeah, I played Ocean uh, Fogana first. First time I played uh, Persona Two Innocent Sin was on fan translation as well. Yeah. So oddly enough, I haven't actually played a lot of fan translations beyond that. I mean, Final Fantasy V, I played fan translation. Um, I remember playing a bad partial translation of Live Alive. Oh yeah, there is a there is a decent one now though. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but back thing is back when I was emulating a lot. I didn't care if it had a fan translation because I was studying Japanese anyway, so I just played everything off. Um, yeah. So, I I didn't really play that many fan translations. Yeah. So, oddly enough. I mean, I tried a few partials for, like, Romancing Saga 3 or stuff, but since that one only went just up to the end of the introduction section originally... There, there was just, basically I, nothing to it at that point. Yeah. I pretty much just took it off, took off the translation patch and played straight. Yeah, you were less likely to run into bugs that way anyway. Yeah, <laughs> or like, oh dear, the Bahamut Lagoon. Oh man, on my head, that was cracked. Where you literally gained a level after each fight, <laughs> which became an issue later in the game when the all of your characters started hitting level ninety nine, and then rounding down or. Hitting rounding errors. Overflowing. <laughs> yeah, overflow errors. It was, oh, no. yeah, it was an issue. And unfortunately, it was an issue that was inherent to the ROM, not to the translation patch. So, because we took the translation patch off and it still kept happening. <laughs> See. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, that would be the first ones that come to mind. Uh, yeah. Trying to think of other ones that I've played that... I, I'm kind of trying to limit myself to things I played fan-translated in pref- like before their original uh, official translation. Well, I mean, in the case of Final Fantasy V, the, original, the fan translation was still technically better than the official one. Yeah, but that, mm. that's not saying much, why Burns. Um, yeah. Why burns? Because they're on fire. Uh, <laughs> I remember hearing an anecdote about a on a podcast like a decade or so ago of someone having uh, met the person who claimed to have translated FF5 and saying that they didn't seem like they cared that much about their job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the other ones that I'm trying to think like there's there's a lot of them nowadays uh, a couple of the Super Robot Wars fan translations I've played are pretty good uh, but of course like that's also you know some of the some of the game material is quite weak unless you care a lot about <laughs> what it is so not a full-throated recommendation I've heard there's a pretty good fan translation of East Five. It's just too bad that game is not. Yeah, good. like that's that's another one where like sometimes you play these fan translations like, oh, I kind of see why they didn't bother. <laughs> mm-hmm. That does bring us to uh, while we're while you mentioned East Five, we should probably uh, hit one of the questions that was asked in uh, the Discord. Uh, Fire miner. 
Yeah, from Fireminer. Have any of us played the East 5 remake on PS2? No. Nope. I've Can seen a lot of it. One? I've seen a lot of it. I have not played it. Uh, if it if there's ever an East 5 release in English, it will not be that version. Yeah. <laughs> to answer um, the question that was asked after that, which was... Uh, it probably sucks. Well, I'm going to say that because the... It's a very low-budget PS2 remake. I want to say it was made by, like, Taito. Yeah. There was mm. also a East 3 one that's very There's, bad. like, an East 4 one as well. Yeah. They're not good. Yeah, they're, they're very low-budget, uh, I want to say 2004-ish era PS2 games. Uh, they're before, like, Falcom picked itself up and started really making East itself again. The 5 remake's probably better than the 4 one, but... It's there's not much. It's not. It's not great. It's uh. It's kind of janky looking. Like again, I haven't played it significantly. It doesn't look great. I wouldn't spend a great deal of time just, hoping for it. Just wait for the inevitable full-on remake of five. Yeah, I feel you like they have to do that eventually. Yeah, they did three. They did four. It's time to fill in that gap and do five yeah. after uh, East 9. But yeah. Just wanted to get that out of the way since East 5 was brought up. And yeah, yeah that's one of those ones. Uh, game, it's just not that interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I'm looking at Aeon Genesis right now since that's a lot of the fan translations I've played are Aeon Genesis. Uh, I haven't played any of them, but... Um... That Legend of Heroes series we're missing does have fan translations that people seem to appreciate. Yeah. What is it called? Um, Crossbell. The Crossbell ones. Oh, yeah. Aono Kisaki and Zero no Kisaki. Yeah. Let's see. Let's look at what they're currently doing. Um, yeah, yeah. They, uh... They did, uh, like, that version of East 5 has a fan translation circa about 2013. That's probably pretty good. But, I mean, again, you're, I played a bit of that, and that's not a great game. Uh, same with East 4 Mask of the Sun. That game's balls. Um, let's see. If you want some good fan translations paired with good games, there's uh, Saga 2 and 3 on DS. Oh, yeah, those are real nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I never this... actually played the translations in those, but, yeah. And there is also a translation for the Wonderswans version of Saga 1. Yeah, we all is... streamed, like, three quarters of that once. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's basically a nicer, cleaner version of the original game and even fixed some of the weird issues, unimplemented stuff from the first game, so it's pretty yeah. nice. Uh, there's some decent translations of Kunio Kun games, Kunio Kun games own. Um, if you've never played a Kunio Kunio game, uh, they're fun RPG beat 'em ups. A lot of them. So. River City you, Ransom. Yeah, I was River say, City you've, Ransom. You've probably played one without realizing it. <laughs> I, I would hope you played River City Ransom. If you haven't, go play River City Ransom. Uh, but a bunch of those actually just got official translations, which was also very strange. <laughs> The, the samurai version of uh, the uh, it's something something uh, Kunio Jidageki 
but it's 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 Samurai Reversity Ransom. <laughs> Sounds pretty rad. Yeah, that's in the Kunio Kun and Double Dragon Brawler bundle on the Switch and PS4. So, recommended at the price. Um, let's see. But yeah, like I, I feel like a lot of times I end up waiting for official translations. But I mean, uh, I brought up at the beginning of this podcast that I've been playing playing Front Mission and have the intention to play most of the franchise. So uh, look forward to me eventually having opinions on Front Mission Two, I guess, and Front Mission Five, I guess. That's going to be far in the future. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Shall we shall we continue with the, the Discord questions so they don't get lost completely? Yeah, those are easier to lose, which is why we should probably hit those. Okay. So okay, so Fireminer's first question: Can you think of any game with a side quest that rewards you with nothing? So uh, I always find it weird that most of the time the protagonists are said to be good people, but always giving them a reward do- directly for a good thing done feels like it invalidates their selflessness. Usually, uh, bonus bosses that are harder than the final boss reward you with essentially nothing. Uh, mm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden 2, oh, which man. was supposed to be designed with side quests that just did not give you a reward in any way, shape, or form besides text story. And honestly, that probably would have been enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, because we're talking about game developers who have weird philosophical issues with their own medium, that was this guy. Um, he just he wanted there to be no real reason for people to be doing the side quests other than just to do them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that was if, if you're playing Barkley, like that was kind of the thing that was fun about Barkley is just seeing what insane thing it would spout out next. Right. Yeah, the uh, the safe points. Oh man, the truck pumps. <laughs> yes, those things. So, yeah, um, unfortunately, that game was never actually finished. Although I do recommend downloading the demo that they put out of it because it gives you a good idea of one why it was it was beautiful what they were attempting, and two why it could never be finished <laughs> because it was just what's well, not a little. It was way, way, way too um, ambitious. Super overscoped. Yeah. They also had like a like tactical combat basketball demo that's up as well, but you can only there's no AI for it, so you'd have to play it with someone else, but mm. and that's why I haven't played it. One day me and Wheels will get together and we'll play B ball tactics. Nice. <laughs> oh I forgot, it's called Tactics Baller, but it's spelled like Tactics Ogre. Nice. Let me pull up this beautiful logo that they, <laughs> this beautiful placeholder logo that they made. Um Hmm. What do I got here? <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, baller spelled with an R E. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Beautiful. Two. Uh, t- one of one of God's own prototypes. Too too weird to live and too rare to die. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. Uh, otherwise, like the the example I can think of that most fits this kind of thing is like there are at least a lot of Western RPGs where you'll finish a side quest and you are allowed to tell the person you want no reward and they will actually honor that request, mm-hmm. which can be an interesting like role playing decision that I appreciate. But 
Yeah, most of the time, like, developers typically don't like putting you in a position where you didn't get anything for the effort you put in, so... As you do. Uh, uh, Scar brought up the uh, Korok Seeds Ultimate Reward in the Breath of the Wild uh, subsection, so that... That's... That's beyond, like, not having a reward and the game actively mocking you for having wasted your time far after it became clear there was no reward. Uh, I remember Seventh Dragon actually had, um, if you finished every random um, item collection mini quest in the game, it gave you an ultimate, why did you do this, why did you collect everything mini quest? Yeah, (laughs) Breath of the Wild, when you get all 900-something Korok seeds, like, for the first 400 or so... How many Korok seeds? 900. <laughs> For the first 400 or so, every so often you're rewarded with more inventory space, which is useful. After that, though, it becomes clear you're not getting any more. But if you keep collecting them, if you get all of them, the game gives, the game gives you a literal golden turd. <laughs> because it's like... What were you expecting? You weren't going to get anything real for this. We stopped, We literally stopped rewarding you to encourage you to stop doing it. Yeah, I'm assuming the only reason there's that many is just so that they probably have some it's, formula that so you end up running into a certain number. Well, I would imagine that it's it's so the issue you get with a lot of games where you're supposed to collect things is that the more you found, the harder it is to find what's left. And they wanted you to get all of the inventory slots. So the way to do that was to make it so there are way more that you can find than you actually need to get all the inventory slots. And, like, that's actually a really brilliant design decision because it allows you to get the important thing without having to go obsessively overboard. Especially in a world that huge, that has so many places that Koroks can be. So I I think that it's reflective of a very good design decision to not try to force the player to get everything. But, you know, because they have to acknowledge the kind of person that for whatever reason chooses to get everything, you get this. (laughs) But uh, Fireminer had one more, uh, had a couple more questions. Uh, What is your general thought on the Tony Taka era of Shining series, which is basically everything from like Shining Tears onward? They don't uh, exist. Re- I don't know what you're talking about. Shining Resonance at least exists. We know okay, that. Yes, that one's fine. Uh, they're not Tony Hawk's fault. Uh, recently, the fan translation of Shining Arc fell through, and I see lots of people were disappointed by it. I don't know anything about the ones that weren't translated. The issue is that the ones Sony, that Sega actually deigned to translate are really bad. Shining Tears is just awful and so is shining force exa shining force exa is worse because it like tricks you into thinking you're going to play an actual shining force game shining and then, force no, neo it's... is the worst oh neo is that oh is it neo or exa that i'm thinking of uh i think i think they're both action rpgs for some reason pandemonium. i still have no idea which one is which it's shining tears is that the weird the weird one because it's like still technically in the shining universe but it, it basically might as well be an unrelated object. Right. But it's okay, X says more... I remember it not being very good, but maybe that's just me. 
it at least looked it least looked like an item from the series like it was still like 2D and you could kind of see similar lineage but i mean yeah. after that it yeah neo and i neo was so bad i never tried exa and then yeah shining wind i've never seen anything of tony taka i think is honestly as well known for porn as the shining series so i mean take from that what you will uh, mike <laughs> minky vouches for shining force feather yeah but that oh yeah I, I mailed him that one i think that one's different though i'm not sure if he's involved maybe, in that maybe not let me check that one was actually more of a tactical game yeah that one's actually a tactical rpg which is it's weird that they were so reticent to do that but then again, every time they make Valkyria Chronicles, they just lose a shit ton of money, so. <laughs> uh, that was also, like, the last game that Flight Plan made before dying. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I'm not seeing plan. Tony Taka credited on that, so I don't think he really counts. Yeah, he's not the artist on that. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, Shiny yeah, Force think... Neo sucks. And Shiny Force... What, what was the one he was talking about? A fan generation? Shining Wind. Shining Wind. I've I, never seen anything about it. I'm trying to find footage of it right now. Pretty sure that is the direct follow-up to Shining Tears and had like a similar style to it. Hmm. Let's see. It's, uh, some of these are difficult to actually Google up footage of because there was a period where Sega capriciously DMCA takedown basically everything was Shining in the name on YouTube in order to try to optimize searches for the most recent one at the time, whose name I don't even remember. So, let's see. This, uh, this yep. looks like Shining Tears. Yep. But slightly higher resolution. Uh, I don't think it's actually uh, a different uh, resolution. I think I might just be remembering Shining Tears uncharitably. But yeah, it looks fine it doesn't look like it, it feels like this era of shining force just should not have been called that seriously yeah well i mean that those at least weren't because it was just shining they were shining blank which yeah. other shining blanks could be called could be anything like shining the holy ark or shining wisdom right remember shining wisdom that game's ugly as hell it also sucks yeah, it's, it's not good i think working designs localized that one no, no, that's a that's just a straight up Sega localization. Wow. But yeah, remember when they were called Sonic Software Planning? No, local, localized uh, according to Wikipedia, published by Working Designs. Really? Okay. Yeah, Shining Wisdom. Well, you know, you know what? I think I have a European no. copy of that, so maybe Sega released this claims that there is no. Oh no, wait. Yeah, Europe, European published by Sega. Okay. Also, Is during crying in the background. Yeah, yeah, I think that's wheels. Yeah, I'll be right back. I was say it's not over here because the ladies are out to grandma's house for the weekend. It gives me just enough time to keep ranting about shining. <laughs> yes, just uh, throw in some more vitriol from me because I really, really hate Shining Force Neo. It was, it was yeah. a tremendous. Like, you can totally see why they used that name because they wanted to draw in people who were like who were nostalgic for shining force who remembered like shining force one two and three and were like yeah this game i love those games and they play that and it's like 
you can't do that because you're just going to put people, you're going to make people distrust ever playing a Shining game again. I don't mm. even think it worked. Apparently, like, it's a loose story remake of Shining Force 1. But I'd have to double check that because I did not, I played a bit of Shining Tears and was not impressed and didn't play <laughs> Shining Force Neo. I would imagine that these were probably less offensive if you weren't invested in what Shining Force had been before. <laughs> uh, they were also developed by Neverland, which is a very strange thing to find out. I remember Neverland. Good old... No. Uh... Nope. Thing is, I don't know Square One about any part of the series. You don't know about... Uh... Well, you know Neverland. You played some Neverland games, at least. No. Lufia? You've never played any of the Lufia games? Which one? Lufia. Oh, Lufia. That, really? Okay, never, never mind. Never made just... Lufia 1 and 2. Never mind, I didn't realize that part. Yeah, no, it's easy to forget because it's like they're not heavily credited, but they are the developers of those. Uh, apparently the Shining Force games that they made are much more similar to a Dreamcast Record of Lodos War licensed game. <laughs> Wasn't that a dungeon okay. crawler? Yeah. Record of Lodos War, if you aren't familiar, was a uh, Japanese fantasy series very obviously based off of a, a D&D campaign someone had one time. No, I mean, yes, specifically because the original format for the story was as a game replay book. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's, it, it's it was made by you... It, it was made by the same guys who created Sword World. Oh, game. that explains it. And, and in fact, uh, even though Lotus War was played in um, Dungeons and Dra Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I would imagine uh, they just the setting it to Sword World. <laughs> yeah, the setting is actually part of Sword World now. Ah. And there are at least three other major manga anime series that are actually based in the same world. You and were created from Sword World playthroughs. <laughs> uh, Rune Soldier was one of them, I think. Mm. So, yeah. Looking at this uh, Lodos War game, I'll give Shining Tears and its ilk something. They're way less fugly than this. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> it is it is hideous uh, 3D. If you've ever seen the Lodos War OVA, you'll be keenly aware that the most interesting thing about it is that it's very pretty. This is not that. Yeah, I'm, I remember a friend was really into that game, and I didn't get it. It it looks like Diablo. <laughs> Let's see Shining Force Neo, so I can get a better no, idea no, how different that looks. No, no. Oh, this is uh, well. Shining Tears was a lot prettier than this. Uh, just to give this a look. Yeah, this looks a lot more like that Lodos War game because this is uh, this is very. 3D in a way that I do not care for. Uh, it's very crappy. Yeah, so I'll give I'll give them. Uh, uh, okay, apparently the they were like phasing in and out of the like Tony Taka era at this point because he's on Shining Tears, but he's not on Shining Force Neo, uh, and doesn't reappear for a few until like Shining Wind. So. Yeah, all I can say is I've played Shining Tears. I wasn't favorably impressed with it, but at the same time, like, it beats Neo and Exa. Those are poop. Uh, at least 
tears and wind are being their own thing. So, uh, and I've never, I've never heard a single person talk about like Shining Blade or Shining Arc. They suck. Uh, I've tried them before. Uh, They're really bad. That's a shame. But yeah, and Resonance Refrain is is pretty okay. It's yeah. uh, it's decent RPG. It's Shining Tales. Yeah, and I mean like Tales has been disappeared for like five years, and Tales of Arise looks dubious. So I mean, I guess it's about time someone had to. Uh, but yeah, there was a. Apparently some sort of anime based off of Shining Tears and Shining Wind that I had never heard of in my life. So yeah. that's uh, weird. So yeah, that's that's about as much as we can say. Uh, we have strong opinions on Shining Force Neo and X as being very bad and the PSP ones as being very bad, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, and one last one from Fireminer. How many? How much loot is enough for a game that is not focused on looting? Nowadays, tons of people are complaining that open-world games like Ghost of Tsushima have too many, too much loot. Uh, generally, if if I can get the same item twice and it will have randomized properties, you have crossed the Rubicon for me. That's Honestly, where I draw the line. It really depends on how much use you can get out of what you're getting. Yeah, I'm, like, I remember a previ- on previous podcasts I've. I complained about Soma Bringer because it just gave you tons of tons of loot that was obviously supposed to be traded between players in different games because there was no way you could actually use most of it. <laughs> or even any more than 25% of it because at character creation, you locked your character into a choice of two different weapon types that you could switch between. Mm-hmm. And But there were well, eight characters. You're still going to get drops for that thing that you can never use. <laughs> yeah. And there was really no point in having that much loot. Um, so, I mean, if there's a strong crafting system involved, then okay, and that works. Um, if you have a lot of, of characters or, um, or units to equip, that's good. Um, but if you're primarily relying on interplayer trade on a game that does not necessarily have the fan base for it, this is bad. Yeah. Like, meanwhile, my ire is for, like, Diablo-style loot, where it's like, here's a bunch of stuff, and you'll get the same thing twice, but it'll have different properties each time. And at that point, I'm like, I, I don't care. I just want things to be consistently the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, in, in terms of, like, I've, I've played some of the reference point game, Tsushima, and that game... I think its bigger issue is just that, like, there's only so many kinds of upgrades the game has, but it wants a lot of different items to get you to get those upgrades, because those items are supposed to, like, force you to play a lot of different parts of the game, but mm-hmm. that can that can rankle players who just want to upgrade their character, so I, I'd probably cut out some of the, like, various kind like, wild animals versus uh, scrap versus iron versus, yeah, it's... Uh- like some of it is simply like feet tax. Kind of yeah, thing. they're ba- they're basically they're stuff to they're they're standing in for a currency system that the game doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And it's like at that point, like it, it would just be simpler to just it, just make the amount of things you have to spend higher and just have the player track fewer of them. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a huge issue. Like, for me personally, it's just like, oh, that sort of thing, I'll accumulate it as I play, and that's kind of how they want you to do it, but it's irritating for the kind of player that specifically wants to get upgrades. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, it, it's, it's all in how much they're going to make me go out of my way to get the stuff I need, so... But yeah, and then, and then of course, there's uh, Soma Bringer, which is... Uh, Pulling far into, why are you like this? Why did you make it like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it only really crosses the Rubicon for me when you're getting multiples of the same item, but they have different properties. That's when I throw up my hands and say I don't care anymore. So that's why you hate Diablo. I mean, it is like it's a huge part of it. Like I don't care to sift through a menu for five through five different like long swords of the accursed and each of them is slightly more effective against a different kind of enemy but one of them has like a bonus of like burning damage plus two and i'm just like i don't care man yeah this is like this, this is one of the reasons i loved uh dungeon siege 3 a game which no one really seemed to care about because the neat thing it did with its loot is you actually had to look it wasn't so much like you had to sift through and, oh, this is all garbage, garbage, garbage. It's like, well, this one increases these stats and lowers these stats, and this one increases those stats. You were actually making a build. Yes, exactly. Like, you had to actually look at the gear you're getting to see if it fits in the build you're going for or if maybe it built towards a different build that you liked. It was, And obviously people didn't like that because it wasn't a carbon copy of Diablo. There's a viable, that's a viable tech to take, and the other one that has lured me into that kind of game before is, did you ever play the PS2 Bard's Tale game? Yes. No. Yes. So that game, when you get an item and it's weaker than what you have, the game just converts it into gold automatically. Nice. And that allowed me to play that kind of game. That game (laughs) rules, by the way. That game is actually, like, super underrated. And it's also very funny. One of the last uh, great comedic voice performances by the late uh, Tony J. And it has, uh, uh, what's his name, from Princess Bride, too. Carrie Elwes. Yeah. Who's also just, there's a lot of good conversations in that game where, like, Tony J as the narrator gets, like, mildly flummoxed by how stupid something that just happened is. And Carrie Elwes just sort of, like, is completely like no no I I knew that was gonna happen that's just how games are it's pretty fun oh and that game is on Switch Be it helpful. is it's on everything now I yeah. think I have an like, actual yeah. physical Vita copy of that. <laughs> I think the, was that limited run no it was some random French limited run copy that seemed like that kind mi- of company that seemed mildly shady but yes <laughs> I mean it was probably a legal official official thing so no, it definitely was because it was like i found it's probably being it. promoted by the people who own the game yeah so. exactly but i i think i like i still get emails from them about what they're releasing and nothing has been <laughs> anything at the level as uh the as high profile as that around. yeah that game would have been released like two three years before tony J died it's a shame yeah no that game that game is definitely, I think, underappreciated. Or maybe yeah. not, since they've re-released it so many times. Obviously, yeah, it's just one of those you never hear people talking about it. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, it was 2004, so that was two years before Tony J passed. And yeah. It's it's fun. It's, it's real fun. Very funny. Uh, and I, in just just in general, it's kind of a cute sort of like like I said, it's it streamlines that kind of game to the point where I can play it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good humor in there. Where the first quest is naturally you have to go kill some rats, but you kill a single rat and then he like celebrates in victory until a massively giant rat oh yeah the up. gigantic rat yeah there's tony J just being like utterly flabbergasted when you stab a wolf and like a treasure chest pops out <laughs> and he's just like and and carrie Owens is just responding with like oh man that is not even close to the strangest thing i've ever seen come out of one of those <laughs> it's good it's it's fun it's... Uh, oh hey it's also on game pass yeah, like it's fun. It's a good time waster. I think it would be a very good Switch game, just as like a eh, pop it in, play thirty minutes, toss it off. Yeah. Uh, it's got a very uh, cutesy sort of dialogue system where you can, where your options are essentially nice and dick. So that's <laughs> always fun. Uh, in that same vein, another um, Diablo-ish game that has a better loot system would be uh, Victor Vran. Oh yeah, and the the cool thing with that is, uh, like the skills you get are, are tied directly to the weapons, so it naturally encourages you to say to actually try different weapons when you get them because they're not necessarily automatically not, better no. or worse. Yeah, so that's uh, and also that that game has uh, guitars as a weapon, so that's always fun. And it was uh, it was one that was always championed by our dear friend Michael Cunningham. Yeah, so. it was the last code he sent me, actually. Yeah, he was a he was a big fan of that one. I remember. Yeah. But. So let's. Uh, I think that's all of the Discord questions. Thank you, Fire Miner, for all those. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, otherwise, we had we had a comment from. Uh, Calero O asking Wheels to make sure that he plays uh, Metal Max 3. Uh, so it's delayed, but I will. I swear. And then one last question from Kroll. Uh, a big name, name developer or not, Shadow drops an RPG out of nowhere. It's such a sudden release uh, having... Uh, with there having been no previews, no trailers, no critical response, but you rush to buy it immediately. Assuming this occurs, regardless of how unlikely it is, what would be enough to make you buy the game? Reputation of the developer, game designer as a scenario writer, the fact it's a continuation of a series you love and trust. Honestly, all, all of those could do it, depending. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, is, isn't this Origami King? Origami <laughs> King kind of was that. They yeah. gave that like a month. <laughs> Yeah, they announced it like three months in advance of release. Yeah. And nobody knew it was happening. Yeah. I mean, like this people... is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is technically how I ended up getting Romancing Saga for PlayStation 2, because it was just. For, I saw For you, the, that video. basically did happen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, this is a really this is a really cool video. I wonder what game this is. And then suddenly, literally and figuratively, there is a light bulb involved. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you sparked Romancing Saga. Yeah. But. Uh... Yeah, but um, for non, I mean, honestly, if you work for a site like RP Gamer for over a decade, there aren't going to be a lot of instances of this happening. Yeah, like we would have to like there. There are certainly games that like, oh, I would buy that site unseen, regardless of what it was. 
So right. if, if we're allowed to go into non-game examples, <laughs> um, so back in 2003, my dad and I were on a vacation in London. Yeah. Um, I was in France. He was just coming in to visit. And so we met up at Heathrow and took the, the train in. And whatever station we were off, getting off at, one of the major ones in London, we were going down the escalator and looked to the right and we saw an advertisement for um, the next Terry Pratchett novel, We Free Men. And I was like, oh, did you know that was coming out? Nope. Where's the nearest bookstore? Two floors down. Ten minutes later, we're walking out of the bookstore with the next book. <laughs> so, well, like, yep. nice. Yep. And then um, I guess this was two years. No, wait I guess three years ago now, um, trip back to America with my daughter for the first time. And because um, from a uh, just uh, inspired by a conversation in a class that Saturday, just I decided to look up what new movies were coming out that summer, and I saw oh, Captain Underpants in theaters now. I did not know this was a thing. Message my sister. Okay, is there any chance I can take my nephew to go see this? <laughs> He's like, Tra-la-la. yep. Tra-la-la. Tra-la-la. Yes. So we found the the last movie theater in Oklahoma that was playing this movie when I was actually in town to see it. And I took my niece and nephew to go see it. Nice. Yeah. So, oh, anyway, I just beat the final boss in Hero Land. I hope this is the actual final boss. Um, and uh, we shall see. I'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, in hypothetical situations, like, what of these that I would actually sight unseen do, uh, like, buy, uh, anything by Kawazu, yep. anything by Namora, uh... Yeah, there was a Kawazu one of that, sort of, where there was just, it was, uh... Like two years, maybe, maybe it was last year, where they're like, "Hey, um, shoot, uh, Last Remnant for Switch." Oh available yeah, the Last right, Remnant remaster. available right now. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, Kawasu or Namoto would probably follow sight unseen. Uh, um, I almost had an experience like this with Legend of Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Where, I mean, obviously, as I was reporting on it for Japandemonium, I was just watching the the initial promo video. I'm like, this looks familiar. This looks fam- Why does this look familiar? And then again, literally light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. I, um, I mean, I was writing the, I was doing the write-up for this in t- real time as I was watching the video. And between the start and the ending, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely getting this game. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, one other book example. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going through a used bookstore and found the uh, translated to Japanese section. I just decided to look through it and came across a book by John Belair's. Do you know John Belair's? No, not off the top of my head. No. Uh, Wheels, you might want to remember him for future reference because um, he's grade school gothic horror. Mm. Yep, really good for about third through fifth, sixth grade. 
Um, and um, I thought I had read all of his books before he had died in 1992. I did not realize that a friend of his had um, taken all of his notes for future stories and started co-authoring until I found book seven of what I thought was a trilogy in a Japanese used bookstore. So that was that was a nice surprise. Bought it immediately, 50 yen, great price. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, trying to think of other ones that I would actually get sight unseen. Wheels, you haven't answered this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess Kwazu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they literally did it with that port of Resonance of Fate. You're not Resonance of Fate, sorry. Last Remnant. Last Remnant. Last Resonance. Um, <laughs> Still yeah. dreaming of a Resonance of Fate port for Switch. Cool. Speaking of stuff coming out as ports on Switch, in about a week and a half, there should be Moon coming out. Yeah, 26th, I think. Yep. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Get Moon when it comes out. Please, Moon. It's like $15 on the store or something. Which is better than the $80 that the physical bundle and uh, deluxe package box will be in October. That sounds nightmarish, but also kind of awesome. Yeah, I am very, very so tempted. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Is that, pre- uh, is that uh, pre-purchasable on the U.S. eShop? I should check. Yeah. I'm more wondering whether or not it's multiple language support no matter where you get it. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be much easier for me to get it. In English. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't look like it's currently up for uh, pre-order yet on the eShop, which is fine. I do appreciate that Moon in the top ten results gives me Dandy Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is currently on sale for 12 bucks. Okay, I'm going to buy that right now. Um, and I completely forgot to load up Dandy Dungeon between midnight and one. <laughs> oh, that oh, sucks. Well. Oh, well. I mean, I mean, originally with the, I mean, with the original smart, um, smartphone version, it was a different person coming up every day of the week. Yeah. But for the computer version, probably the Switch version, several of the characters who would be coming up um, for the midnight hour are actually yeah. available through regular questing now. Nice. So I don't have to worry about this, and so it's just the same three characters who keep popping up, and one of them even keeps repeating that he comes by on Sundays, and it's never a Sunday when I actually get him. <laughs> so it just makes it even more absurd. I'd, I'd love to know how this man tracks the week. Yes. So. Yeah, I just... Yeah, well, I'm glad that I... Uh... Thought to grab that. I thought to grab that since it is currently on sale for about eh, about forty percent off. It looks like I think it normally retails for about twenty. Yeah. So. I think I Dandy got it for about sixteen. Yeah. yeah. It's currently like eleven dollars forty cents. So. Yeah. Pretty good. So yes, um, strongly recommended. Even though it is very much a DMM former smartphone title, it is still really hilarious and fun. <laughs> And weird. It has that charm. Yes, it does. And that's kind charm of what you want. Some, you can tell that whoever made this had a lot of fun doing it and really did not care what people would think. 
Especially when you get into the later levels of the Yamanote line, because, oh, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> How did this game get made? Oh. Uh. I, I feel like the... I feel, feel like the that kind of ties back to the question in an interesting way, is that the way that... The thing that will make me most confident to buy something sight unseen is thinking that the people that have the most influence on it are interesting. Like, whatever they make, it, I might not even like it, but it'll be interesting. It'll have been worth my time to play it, even if I didn't like it that much. Yeah. Yep, that's a good way to describe Moon and Dandy Dungeon. It is a... They are games that are experiences. Yeah. Like, it is worth experiencing at least once. And, like, that's... You know, like... That seems like the kind of person that this would apply to if I had played more of their work is that like oh I, uh, I mean it'll be weird but I mean I would play it sight unseen because I want to see what this person would make <laughs> so yeah that's that's kind of the long and short of it is that that's what gives me the most confidence to per to make a purchase and if anyone else needs to make a purchase on anything, um, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor is still available on Kindle Unlimited. Go ahead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. I figure, you know what, if I'm ever going to actually learn how to plug my stuff, well, I might as well jump in. Here we go. Jump in and make it feel, uh, how, to, how to put this, make it feel organic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that is currently available, still available on Amazon. Uh, give it a read. One day I will have disposable income enough to invest in things like that. Of course, I say that after having purchased Dandy Dungeon Sight Unseen, but I'm also an idiot. Well, so. But you could also just go for Kindle Unlimited and have as many books to read a month as you want. Yeah. Because um, authors on Kindle Unlimited do actually get some money back for pages read. Okay. That's, yeah. That makes me feel better about it. Yeah. Let's see. Like... Um, Say Kindle Unlimited Royalty. I've technically made about forty-five dollars plus random other currencies in Kindle Unlimited royalties mm, over the last three years. Enough. So don't get much, but you do get something. It's, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, let's let's t call it a, an even fifty-five dollars, including pounds and euros. And, and how, however much this is in. Indian rupees. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me that I was like, oh, this, is, this is not to do with anything, but it was like, I was uh, looking up the pre-yen Japanese currency, the real, and realized that that kanji still gets used, just in a different context. Hey, the, the old, um, I mean, it used to be yen and zenny, um, or sen. Yeah. Oh, the cents. sen, yeah, the sen and yeah. the reen, if you're getting real. Oh, no, I mean, no, that kanji is still used. It's used um, for the percentage, like, um, decimal points in stock markets. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it sense. used to be the Japanese equivalent of the penny before they completely tanked their economy during the Second World War and just made... It was such a comical um, amount of money. <laughs> I mean, to the point where they had three different currencies running. Yeah, because they had the reen as well, which is even yeah. smaller. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they had a at-home currency, 
they had a colonial currency, and then they had a military currency oh, because the Jesus. army refused to be paid in the base I'm not currency. Not to be paid in something use, worthless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, I'm not talking about three different types of coin and days at use uh, at the same time. I'm talking three completely different currencies. That's always the sign of a healthy economy. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. By, by but the yeah. end of the Second World War, one one thousandth of one yen would be such a comically tiny amount of, such a comically small amount of worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, before the war, one yen was equivalent to one dollar. Yeah. And so, and like, having one one thousandth of one of those was not the most ridiculous idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Japanese invasion money. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was looking up the Rio and find out found out that that kanji is still used seemingly to mean both. Yeah. But yeah, I I had known that kanji. I mean, that, that, I just that didn't is the actual meaning. That, yeah, um, just, it was just assigned to the the money as well because the money was not actually. It, I mean, it was technically a currency, but it was actually more of a marker like of the weight of, certain of rice of or rice. something. It. I mean, your income was tied to your rice production. Mm-hmm. So the Rio was one year's worth of rice. Ah. I just remembered it as the thing you could throw and go on and lose. <laughs> mm-hmm. The gold coins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also the gold coin on Meowth's head. Yeah, yeah. So. But it's anyway, like anyway getting, back, getting back to the plug, okay? Yeah, yeah. Again, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu. Because you know what, my real name sucks for Googling. So thank you, wife's family, for letting me use theirs. Um, and uh, it's on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. Um, there are paperback collections available. The first two, somebody was very nice enough to actually buy the two paperbacks from me this past week. I'm not sure why or how. Because for the most part, if somebody buys one of those, I know who it is. <laughs> it's weird to not know who bought it. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of sad, but yeah. Um, so yay, somebody I don't know actually bought these. I'm hoping they leave a review if they're nice. Um, and the third collection should be. I mean, I've been working on it off and on to try and actually get it ready to go live. Mm-hmm. So I, for some reason, Open Office just kind of removed all of the images I was using as play as space holders. You kind of crash them. I'm not sure why, so I get to replace them all again. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. So there's, so there's your plugs. Uh, yeah. Give them a look. Yeah. So if if you like to read about Dungeons and Dra- Dragon style gameplay and the various in internal dramas of a gaming group, that's what it's largely about when it's not <laughs> being fantasy. You get a little of both. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some really nice reviews from some people here and there. That's good. Yeah. Including like, ones like, as a gamer and as a dad, I approve of this series. It's really awesome. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. All right, dude. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, people people who read it like it. So, yeah. give it a look. That's good. But Michael is, of course, the only one of us that actually has a plug to make. So... <laughs> Questions go in the question zone, sometimes known as the comment section or the Discord. As we have proven, we will read both. Uh, 
But if you don't put them in the podcast section, we won't notice them. So put them in the Discord podcast section if you're going to put them in the Discord. Uh, Otherwise, uh, play Metal Max. I'll pretend that's a plug. (laughs) No, there is a plug. Play Metal Max. Just do it. Remind yourself that there is a go- there are good games in this series. Just wash Metal Max Zeno out of your mind until we find out if Reborn was worth the time. Yes. It it's uh let's see today's the fourteenth over here so one two three weeks. Yeah, about three weeks until I can play it. Look forward to some first impressions in about a month, I guess. <laughs> Unless they delay it again. Yeah, which is not impossible, but hopefully by this point they'd have to have been sent to manufacture. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen at this point, yeah. Yeah. And then they can start trying to promise that Reborn 2 will fix the other problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if it were just Createch at this, I'd say i trust them to actually fix the problems in the next one, because that's what they've tended to do. It's Katakawa calling the shots that I'm kind of concerned about at this point. Yeah. There's still Cattle Call involved, but that's that's yeah. about it for the old developers. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> and, uh, Wheels, you got any plugs? No. Didn't think so. Um, uh, Origami King. Play it. <laughs> Let's plug this uh, million-seller Nintendo game. Uh <laughs> Moon, Moon, play it. Oh yeah, Moon Remix Ex- RPG Adventure. Yeah, experience the fun of a Dragon Quest parody turned inside out. A very, a very, uh, by the by the end, not yeah. really much of an RPG. RPG. Oh no, I mean the the main RPG part is actually all in the intro where you get to watch the main character playing through what is fake Dragon Quest, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so, otherwise, uh, I guess, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. Ah, mm, no words, but tears won't.